Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I'm your intrepid host and publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I am back from vacation. I'm back from the woods, back from my, my spirit quest of trying not to look at a screen for 16 hours a day for a few days and feel completely revigorated. I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, as always, Brian Fisher of Athlon. How's it going, Brian? I'm doing well. I'm a little disappointed, though, Matt. I mean, uh, to, to be honest, uh, I kind of expected this this giant beard from yourself, and I, I don't see it. So I, I'm a little disappointed in that front, but uh, I'm glad you had some, some extra time off. It was it was nice to take a break from this podcast, but uh, I, I'm excited to get back at it. No, I uh, I shaved. And, 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 uh, I, I'm, I'm somebody, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a swarthy Latin American. I can, I can grow five o'clock shadow before three, but, um, I can't really grow a big beard because my kids throw a temper tantrum. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're stuck here with the stubble. Um, I'm excited to talk today about something that I've been meaning to write about for a little while. And it, it didn't really, the timing wasn't, didn't really make sense, but I think it'll be easier for you to kind of talk through this with you. We're, we're, we're faced at this existential, you know, crisis period, I guess, for the, the NCAA and you've got COVID and amateurism and, and Congress and all these other forces kind of coming around here to, to push up against college sports. But in your opinion, Brian, what do you think is the single biggest force that moves the college athletic department to do something? If you only, if you had to isolate one thing that makes the whole enterprise go around, what would it well, be? I, I would, I'd almost say there, there's two fronts, right? And, and I, I'm kind of middling your question a little bit, but uh, number one, it's donors. Um, you know, I think the, the people that these athletic directors listen to and, and obviously pointing up quite a bit of money to make those departments go around. I, I would say that's one, but the other is television, media rights, that sort of bucket, if you will, uh, on their spreadsheets, because um, that dictates everything from when those games are going to take place, not just on uh, your, your big football games on, on Saturdays in the fall, but also some of your other sports and, and what they are doing, how they are traveling. So I think there's kind of two fronts. Yeah, it's, you got to listen to the folks that are local and on the ground, but you also got to listen to when that four letter worldwide leader calls you up and say you're playing at 5 p.m. on, on a Saturday. You got to listen to that as well, because they are cashing a, a very big check, especially a lot of these these bigger conferences. But it, it also dictates, you know, growth opportunities for a lot of the smaller leagues as well. So it, it, it's it's a two pronged approach. And I think it's the, the one area where, especially from a fan perspective, everybody has a real interest in because you're ending up seeing it on your TVs. Yeah. I mean, we, we could split the difference there. The answer I was actually going for was money. Uh, you're, you're right. Sometimes that money comes from local donors. Sometimes that money comes from student tuition. Sometimes that money uh, comes from other places. But if you're a power five school, generally your biggest check is coming from TV. And even at the FCS and some of these low major institutions, you're making uh, decisions that are significantly driven by television because you're, you're right it isn't it isn't just the big check this is also the your your biggest tool to market your program it's something that consumers have, have uh, opinions about um yeah even when you go look at a place like hartford or eastern washington that's debating whether you keep your program at all they'll tell you you know part of the argument for having sports is the marketing potential and you get that marketing potential from the tv so that it is it is a you really can't overstate how important and dramatic a force television is um, on, on college sports. The, I, we've had a little bit of news about how television money and broadcasting and everything is changing at a couple of major college conferences, which then kind of trickles down to some of the smaller ones. Um, typically, if you're a Pac-12 fan and you know that someone's going to start talking about TV, you get a little bit defensive, which not un, not an unjustifiable reaction given the past couple of years. But if you're listening to this now, I have some good news. Um, according to John Wilner, our, our friend and previous guest, um, Pac-12 Networks just posted their best year ever and are, are finally about to uh, projected to distribute, as I understand it, about three million bucks a school, which is the first time that they have actually hit the low end of, of their projected benchmarks. Um, it should be a pretty positive development if you're a school that, that's really counting on that money because as far as I can tell, every single Pac-12 school could really use some more cash right about now. Absolutely. And, and the way these deals are structured, there are obviously pandemic-related 
issues with some of these payouts. But in terms of the actual revenue generated from a lot of these deals, it's typically increasing. So as, as you go on year by year, it, that payment does bump up. But I think it's important to note that uh, as good of news as this is, that, that the, these networks are kind of hitting that low end of the spectrum, there's some big questions going forward with the state of the networks in general. And I think that uh, combined with the commissioner search that is ongoing are, are two of the more pressing issues that these Pac-12 presidents, these Pac-12 athletic directors are, are looking at. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see, yeah, you got the, this big bump right now, but in a couple of years when those TV deals are up, where, where do you go from here? And I think that's the, the one question that a lot of folks out in the Pac-12 are, are asking. Yeah, we, we have to do that, right? The, the good news, yes. Now, year whatever, eight or whatever this is in, in the in this modern TV system, you've hit the low benchmark. The bad news is, even if you're finally starting to see some breakthrough growth, you are making substantially less money than some of your peer conferences, the Big Ten, SEC, even the Big 12 right now. Um, and that is likely to continue. The SEC, of course, uh, is, is moving all of their stuff over to ESPN. They're going to be uh, bringing in, I think, $70 million a school near, uh, as that deal continues. The Big Ten is going to be the next power conference to set up a new TV deal uh, sometime next year. And is also projected to make in the, uh, in the 70s, potentially more for a per school distribution. Um, so even when you factor in the money from the Pac-12's tier one deal, that's not in the same stratosphere. And you have Pac-12 institutions that are not selling out 100,000 tickets like Penn State or Tennessee or Ohio State might be. Um, you don't have the same robust revenue streams. And so you have a revenue gap that is, as of right now, not going to get any better. And, and I think it's important to keep in mind, kind of following up that point a little bit, is is the structure with the Pac-12 is a lot different from any of the other conference networks out there. You mentioned the SEC network. They're essentially getting another rights fee for their third tier rights from ESPN to form that channel. They don't have an ownership stake in that. Neither does the ACC with theirs. The Big Ten has has a partial ownership with Fox Sports in terms of the Big Ten network, and, and that's a unique setup. But the Pac-12 has an entirely owned uh, television station, and, and there is some equity in that. You know, this is is not um, you know a billion dollar enterprise for them, but there's hundreds of millions of dollars tied up with actually operating and, and owning those channels. Um, that that's part of their agreement when they were first formed. When you go back to uh, the the initial creation of the Pac-12 networks, that was essentially a deal done with a lot of the cable companies, and and that's why there are seven networks. That's why this is a, a unique structure. So there is um, you know when you go back a couple of years ago, even there was talk about selling off a part of that stake to venture capitalist or private equity uh, because the Pac-12 owns that. And so that does make them a little bit of a unique player in this market. But uh, you're right. The, the gap between what they are getting in terms of that return, even with that equity stake, is is growing. And it's growing exponentially compared to their peers in the SEC and, and the Big Ten. And while you expect the Pac-12 just from their location, from their fan base size, from the you know, really the uh, schools in, in themselves involved, you know, you're not talking about uh, the, these massive land grant, you know, institutions that have huge alumni bases that is going to put them behind the eight ball, no matter what, compared to some of their peers in the power five. But if you're an athletic director, all that doesn't matter all that much when you've got salaries to pay, when you've got uh, facility upgrades, you've got to, you, you got to find the money for it. it all kind of comes, comes to a head when those packed well with athletic directors are looking at their budgets and seeing that not only are they getting outspent, but those checks coming in are so far away from what the others are getting in, in their uh, power five conferences. Yeah. And, and this exact reason, is why I've written a couple of different times why I can't get really like uh, all mad online about revenue gaps because I, I really do think at a certain point the gap doesn't really matter. The, the question is, do you have enough money to adequately you know, provide a to fulfill the minimum standards for your football program to hire a good enough coach and to be competitive, right? Um, you could give Kansas football, you could triple their budget and they're still going to suck. Um, because they have issues that are independent of of just finances. I mean, they, they I mean they they hired a, a, a big name coach before. They're, they're they got a well regarded athletic director. They're not poor. They just have terrible headwinds that have made consistently terrible decisions. You can give a bad school a lot of money, they won't grow. And we see teams that have not had as much money be be successful. You know, so. The, 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 if you're a Pac-12 school, do you make enough money right now to hire a good enough football coach to get in the top 15? 
I, I, most of the time, I think so. The, the question I think becomes, do you have enough money to, to fund a well-balanced, broad-based athletic department, which most Pac-12 schools have, and pay staff and assistant coaches competitive rights to keep them within the league and to be able to, to have that infrastructure? And there, maybe outside of two or three schools, that may not be the case. So you're never going to reach parity, but the question is, are you close enough where it doesn't matter? And certainly some administrators in this conference would say right now we're not. Well, I, I think it's it's difficult to say because I think the Pac-12 programs, they, they do have a different focus than, than some of their peers. You mentioned the broad base. You know, they, these are schools that sponsor a lot of sports yeah. and, and they do so at a high level. I mean, there, there's a reason they call it the conference champions. They they pay a lot of money and, and for not only for a lot of these programs and the scholarship costs that are associated with that. But, uh, you know, look at UCLA, you know, just gave Mick Cronin a raised over $4 million a year. That's, uh, you know, really towards kind of the upper middle end of, of uh, you know, college basketball coaches. Uh, and uh, they can pay the, those salaries when they want to. And I think the question for some, you know, programs is, is do we want to, uh, you know, really pony up for that? And, and are we comfortable with where we're at spending within kind of that range? Um, you, you can always go over over your budget as, as long as a booster is ready to kind of step up and, and, and pony up that cash. And I think for, um, you know, some fan bases that, that has not been the case. You know, the, the booster class more than more than, say, the media rights aspect of things ha- has kind of brought the Pac-12 down uh, compared to some of their peers. And I think that's kind of important to keep in mind. Yeah. And, and, and I, I'm not I'm not saying this pejoratively either. Right. Like not every fan base or fan culture has to be Clemson um, or Ohio State or, or fo- follow things a certain different way. You can be Cal. And that's fine. You can be UCLA and you can kick ass at water polo and be good at a bunch of sports in the spring and, and um, you know, occasionally do better than the craft fight hunger bowl. And, and, and that's okay. And, and even if you cut six sports and put all of the savings into football, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be any better either. I, I, um, when we talk about TV in this particular context, like from my vantage, um, I don't think you, you have, you can look at our goal is to be the, even within 10% of the big 10 or the sec, unless you are planning on somehow bringing Alabama into the PAC 12 or uh, reuniting Pangea and changing time zones and, and rearranging things that way. Um, it, it's simply not going to happen. And, and that it hasn't really happened for 60 years. There's always been a, a financial disadvantage. It's do you have enough that if you are well-managed, you can, you can be competitive. And certainly there's going to be a reason, I mean, an impetus to, um, Find a couple more quarters under the couch cushions. And there are disruptive ways of doing that. And there are some less disruptive ways. And you look at the Wilner story, there's, you know, with, with the Pac-12, you could say, hey, listen, through some less disruptive disruptive paths, we've managed to in- increase profitability here. You have this, um, like, I think it's called the Pac-12 Insider product, which is this uh, basically an app on Roku or something where you can watch uh, classic Pac-12 games and uh, bumper overflow stuff for games that aren't on the Pac-12 network for some Olympic sports. And you can watch, you know, pregame coverage and everything. And that's made the league it looks like about a million bucks. Great. Um, that's not gonna. That's not earth changing money, but that's a that's six figures for each school or or, or ish. You know, a, a real check. Um, and then there are some more disruptive things, like maybe getting rid of the regional networks, maybe moving the Pac-12 network out of San Francisco, maybe getting rid of it altogether. Have you given any thought as to what you might recommend? What would be like the best balance for we want to give exposure to all of these programs, but we also don't want to pay 11 gajillion dollars for a media company that's not working very well? Well, I think it's going to be, you know, obviously it's issue 1A for the new commissioner because of the when the timing is they take over the job and when those new deals are up. So this is going to be a, a big question for really the entire league, but really for the commissioner to kind of chart the strategy going forward. And when you look at the Pac-12 networks and, and what they, they were meant to accomplish, you know, really it was not so much necessarily about, you know, having the, the, the extra bottom line and making sure that, you know, football has these, these plays for those, those kind of third tier games um, that would normally not kind of be seen uh, on Fox or ESPN. It, it was really designed to give those Olympic sports, uh, you know, a platform and, and it's done that successfully. You know, you look at, um, you know, women's basketball, a lot was made uh, from even the, the coaches that, uh, went to the final four in terms of the added exposure from those Pac-12, helping in recruiting, helping, uh, you know, really just kind of grow their program. And at, at the end of the day, though, 
is that something that could be accomplished? Whether you put all those events on ESPN Plus, which we've kind of seen with uh, certain deals, especially in the Big 12, uh, is doing that. Uh, the ACC has done that as well. So you, you do see the streaming opportunity to kind of maybe take over for the Pac-12 networks. And then if that's the case, if ESPN is going to pay you, um, you know, a certain percentage, or maybe it's a Fox as a partner, maybe it's an Amazon where they're streaming those games instead of televising them for a, you know, where you hit that right note in terms of this is the dollar amount that it's going to take to have us, you know, have a little bit less exposure from a television network. And maybe that maybe the networks go away uh, completely and, and all that does get moved to the Internet. But, um, you know, some some big changes are afoot. I, I think, you know, moving it out of San Francisco, I, I would say that's that's probably likely at some point. It's difficult to kind of retool everything with when it comes to actually operating the, the television network 24 seven. But it, it can be done. It can be moved to, to places like you know Denver or uh, certainly Los Angeles in terms of those operational facilities uh, that you would need to to operate a, a TV network. And I think the, the bigger question in my mind is, can you get rid of those regional networks? Because it, it's, it's just an uh, overly cumbersome, uh, really outdated kind of model. And it just didn't work start with. And then I think going forward, it's something that if, if you can kind of shed um, even the, the minuscule uh, operating cost of six additional channels, I, I think you got to do that. And I think that that's ultimately what will end up happening is, is they probably will pare it down to just one channel if they do stick with, with a linear one and, and kind of move from there in terms of adding those other sports that maybe filtered down to those regional networks onto a streaming platform. Yeah, I it's difficult for me at this point to imagine a compelling argument for keeping the Pac-12 network. And, and honestly, I would even put the Pac-12 headquarters in the Bay Area at all. As you look around to other leagues, big leagues, small leagues, generally your headquarters and your real estate is not the most expensive part of town. I live pretty close to the Big Ten headquarters. You can see it from the highway. It's out near O'Hare Airport. It shares a parking lot with a with a chain Brazilian steakhouse, which is something that's very funny because, and I, you know, as a Brazilian, you typically don't associate my people with the Midwest. There's like seven of us. We all had the good sense to live somewhere warm. The SEC's is not in some beautiful 12-story skyscraper. It's it's in affordable real estate. SEC network offices and production facilities are not in the most expensive parts of the South. I mean, there are there are conference there are conference offices that are like in hotels. But when you get down to the low major levels, there's a reason so many are moving to Texas, where it's cheap. So when you have maybe maybe the most expensive metropolitan area in the country or, or, or thereabouts, you don't have to have th- those facilities there, especially as the footprint has changed. I mean, if it was me, I'd move everything to Vegas um, where real estate is pretty cheap and it's not, not difficult to fly into and you can make compelling media events and the league has had strong success doing this with, with basketball. But you're right, Los Angeles, it's not hard to go find audiovisual professionals in Southern California to, to fill out a station. Um, as far as anything else, I, I, part of this is really going to depend on the marketplace. And this is, is kind of stems to a, a more interesting philosophical conversation, because my understanding when Larry Scott set out on this whole, we want to control and own and operate everything, a big assumption was that, listen, when we go to market again, we're not just hoping to get ESPN and Fox to to buy our rights. Facebook and Amazon and Netflix and these other big tech players are going to be the fang companies. They're going to be involved. They're going to jack up the price. We own everything. We're going to be able to just Scrooge McDuckett, just like swim in money after this. And this was not a crazy assumption eight years ago and, and even relatively recently. Uh, you could still find uh, credible analysts saying like, listen, when the fan companies get involved, conference realignment's going to get weird. TV's going to get weird. But but here we are now in, in it's depressing to think about it. We're already about a quarter of the way done with 2021. We're, we're kind of close to some of these, these, these renegotiations. And that's not really the case. Um, Netflix has, has been not really engaged in live sports. Amazon has, has played around with it uh, a little bit with the NFL and on the periphery of some other minor uh, outlets. Um, Facebook kind of did this a little bit and then has kind of pulled back. And, you know, as we both know, they're not exactly the most honest broker when it comes to video data. Um, it, coming into this, it would appear, uh, unless the Pac-12 really wanted to take an enormous exposure haircut, your best bet as a tier one partner is still Fox or ESPN. Um 
maybe in the so retrospect, maybe that bet doesn't look as good, but it, it made sense when, when you when you made it. I mean, you could potentially get some money from Apple or from somebody else and know what they've tried, but I know that coaches hate that idea. And some ADs hate that idea because look, you might give me a 25% bigger check, but then I got to sit in a recruits room and explain to grandma how to set up her Apple TV. And it just just say, I'm on ESPN channel six, even as people cut the cord, that's still a pretty compelling narrative. It, it absolutely is. And that is the the difficulty that the, the decision that the PAC 12 is facing is, is how much is that percentage revenue bump going to really make up for the fact that you are going to lose some of that exposure. And, you know, look at the NFL, you, you mentioned Amazon being involved. And I think they are obviously the biggest player involved in sports rights of those fame companies. There, there have been discussions with the PAC 12 and Apple before. I, I don't know if those are going to come back up, you know, when, when their rights go to market, uh, I really don't know the appetite that we've seen uh, out of Apple and, building out that Apple TV plus uh, subscription product. But obviously when you're talking about, uh, you know, streaming and, and those companies get involved, the two biggest ones are, are ESPN plus and, and, and the Disney company involved with that. So you could kind of have a big um, you know, kind of umbrella deal where you do get those exposure on ESPN combined with the streaming. But, you know, for, I, I think Amazon is, is definitely a partner that the PAC 12 is going to have some serious discussions with because yeah, they are, they took over Thursday night football from the NFL. That, that, that's their exclusive home um, when those new TV deals go up. Are, are you going to hire a bunch of people, you know, to, to produce those games, to stream those games, to have that infrastructure in place for just one night a week? Yeah, you know, I, I think Amazon, while they haven't really, they've really just dabbled here and there domestically in terms of streaming. They're big overseas in terms of you know streaming the Premier League. Um, you know, in, in England they've got Syria deals, so they they are very much kind of looking at how we can make this work streaming wise in other countries. And I think if, maybe this Pac-12 is kind of their entry into college sports. Obviously, the Pac-12 has been open to trying things. I think the, the athletic directors you talk about, about with the league, they would love if they got some more control over when their games occur. So maybe that streaming yes. streaming portion kind of comes into having more noon football games or, or basketball games that are not at nine o'clock at night. Maybe this is a way to kind of satisfy all parties, not only getting the revenue bump, uh, being able to be on, on a streaming platform, but also kind of taking back control in terms of when, when those game times are, because uh, that that's another thing that I think you got to keep in mind. The Pac-12 can almost command a bit more of a premium because they can occupy those late TV windows. That That's why, uh, you know, Larry Scott has, has talked about it quite a bit in terms of, you know, when they are on at ESPN, on the 1030 Eastern uh, night games, they, they're, because they have that window essentially to themselves uh, along with the Mountain West, they, they're getting more eyeballs than they would on a, on a normal game that's either you know, on ESPN2 or, or ABC uh, in the middle of the day when they're competing against the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12. And, and I think that is where they can kind of look at this market and say, we, we can commit, commend a premium there, but how are we going to solve the, the other inventory issues? A company like Amazon could be a really nice complement to uh, a big big exposure deal with Fox and ESPN in terms of getting those big time prime time games uh, that you need for football and basketball, but also ensuring that the other sports, the other uh, and, and the other part of those inventory on, on football and basketball can also find a home that makes sense for their fan bases as well. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I remember when I talked to the Colonial Athletic Association a little over a year ago, right when they had announced that they're going to park up a ton of their sports on flow which is a competitor to ESPN plus. And part of the reason for that was they felt like they would be able to then maintain a lot more control over when their games kicked off because then they got to pick. <laughs> they, were, they were the ones that were operating all the streaming equipment and, you know, they might want to, to be cognizant of what major local D1 uh, FBS programs were doing for windows. But if they wanted to start a game at four, instead of like right in the three 30 or two 30 window, or whatever they could. Um, and, and that was that was something that was valuable to them. They, they did get a rights fee. It wasn't a huge one. Um, and they were able to work something out where if a football program had a local television deal, they could still simulcast it. So you could still go to a bar and watch a JMU game. But that was a factor. And this is this is a source of chagrin. I know in the Mountain West and for some Pac-12 administrations as well, uh, because there's there, there is a, a bit of a push and a pull. You're right. If you're if you're the late night game. You get that all to yourself. We're not going to make Akron play at three o'clock in the morning for all of us, you know, tired dads and people leaving the bars. But by God, we'll put Wazoo on there. Um, and that's great for the television. And, uh, you know, it's one way or the other for the athletes. It sucks if you are a fan having to do that a lot. And it especially sucks if you're a school like Wyoming, where people have to often drive three hours in to, to go to the game. 
And if the games, all the games are at night, especially as we get later into the season when the weather turns, it's difficult to get people to show up. And that's that's why on the weekday games and on night games uh, across the G5, they're great television properties and you're going to see a lot of empty stands. Um, and you pick the TV because that gives you more money than selling the tickets. Um, but that's something also that's going to have to be uh, considered on the Pac-12 front and anybody else weighing, do I try to maximize my television check? Do I try to maximize my exposure? Do I try to maximize my in-person attendance? Because you're probably not going to be able to satisfy all three unless you're Notre Dame. Yeah. And I mean, it, you got to keep in mind, look at, at the fan bases in, involved in, in some of those Pac-12 schools. I mean, you've heard it for, for years now from from Oregon fans. Why? Because when they have a late kick in, in Eugene, they're coming from Portland and, and they got to drive yeah. back. So do you want to drive back at you know 2 a.m. after the game or do you want to get a hotel? You know, that's an additional cost that, you know, when you're already paying for season tickets, do you really want to, you know, you got to kind of factor in a couple hundred dollars on, on and a lot of those hotels and in, in some of the smaller studies like Eugene or Pullman, you, you've got to have a, a multi night minimum, you know, in terms of how many nights you're purchasing. So uh, those costs add up for a lot of these fans. It's a source of frustration. Obviously, you want to have those big primetime games. You want to have those eyeballs. But um, yeah, at the same time, uh, a lot of fans just want to go home after the game. And and that can be difficult uh, in today's multimedia environment. And it's something that I, I know the athletic directors and I know the presidents have had not only an earful from their fans and their boosters, but you know, I think it's, it's going to come up in terms of those conversations going forward. Uh, it, is we've got to have a little bit more control over when our game time kick. And we, we've seen some adjustments in, in the last couple of years already from the conference office listening to that and making those adjustments. But uh, it, it's always going to be an issue out on the West Coast. It just is because of where you're located and, and what time zone you're in. It's, it's no matter how good of a commissioner you hire and how great you are at outside sales, you, you, you literally can't change time. Um, uh, Larry Scott might have tried if you gave if you gave, let him stick around a little bit more, but there, there's some facts you can't get around. There's another league that is facing some larger existential television questions that I want to get into. But speaking of money, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about a couple of extra point sponsors before we dig into here. Um, I know that over the last several months, cooking has been a pretty big pain point. For, for our household. Uh, I'm working weird hours right now. My wife manages a call center. We've got two small children. And we're also, we have other goals, right? Like, well, I don't want to just eat 7-Eleven convenience store food. Uh, I've been trying to, to lift weights. I'm trying to exercise so I I can you know sustain blogger excellence. Um, and, and that's hard because everyone's schedule has been completely blown to hell. Uh, one thing that might help people, if you're like me, that, that might be able to help you, is uh, one of our sponsors, Proper Good. Proper Good makes the uh, some of the tastiest and healthiest zero prep meals that you could hope for, made with ultra clean, functional ingredients, zero added sugar, and they're ready to eat in just 90 seconds. You don't have to store them in the fridge. They're shelf stable. You don't have any uh, complicated or extensive preparations like you might with other meal service kits. What you get is, is what you need. Um, you just tear a top off, stick it in the microwave for a couple of seconds, uh, and you're good to go. And unlike a lot of the other kind of more garbagey frozen foods that you might find in your grocery store, uh, Proper Good has options that are plant-based, keto, gluten-free, dairy-free, whatever your lifestyle or your nutritional goals, chances are Eat Proper Good has something that might be able to help you out. You can go grab 10% off your first order by going to eatpropergood.com. Um, also, of course, happy to talk to you about the text supplement to this podcast. And that's the Extra Points newsletter. If you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy long conversations about television rights and really kind of getting into the weeds for what makes this industry tick, you're going to love Extra Points, which publishes four days a week, digs into all of those off the field stuff from name, image, and likeness legislation to um, how college athletic departments actually get their money to what small conference realignment looks like. I published a big story earlier this week that talked about um, what the uh, the most recent candidate for WAC expansion is and what the Southland Conference might do. And I expect there's going to be some more realignment in New England and maybe with the Missouri Valley. And this is all stuff that you can find here in your inbox. Extra points. Supporting this newsletter also makes this podcast possible. It makes all of the content we produce possible. Um, if you want to subscribe, make sure that you get the entire experience. You're in luck because just for you, I want to knock a little bit off the bill. You go to www.extrapointsmb.com backslash go for two. That's G-O-F-O-R number two. 
that gets you 20% off a paid subscription to all four Extra Points newsletters a week, plus access to our Discord channel, plus the warm, fuzzy feeling you get from supporting independent media. That's extrapointsmb.com slash go for two. So there's some pretty big existential questions that the Pac-12 is going to have to figure out here to, to chart their media strategy forward. But it's it, it, there's almost some more structure to those decisions, right? Like, all right, we got a network. Um, we're going to get a new TV deal in a couple of years. Do we keep the network, sell the network, sell part of the network, move our, our headquarters somewhere? There's 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 a, a, a plethora of choices, but there's also like a schedule and a time limit and some structure behind some of those choices. The ACC does not have that same structure because unlike the Pac-12, they're not going to market in a couple of years. They signed a long-term deal with ESPN that I, I believe doesn't expire until next decade. And they are, everyone else is going to go to market before them. The Big 12 will go to market. The Pac-12 will go to market. The Big 10 will. The SEC already just, just did and got a, a massive re-up. And so current projections have this league getting completely lapped by everybody, probably even the Pac-12. Uh, later this decade in terms of, of annual revenue. So the, they have a new commissioner. They bring in Jim Phillips uh, from my neighborhood or ish, you know, he, in, in Chicagoland, uh, longtime Northwestern athletic director. And his job is to figure out how do I fix this? But it's not like he can just go to ESPN and say, hey, what do you say you give us some more money? Because their product offerings are already the same. So they, they, they would need to do something substantial to to change that dynamic and i've i've heard i've heard jim talk about a couple of smaller things that are on the table and then i've written and all the other bloggers are talking about a couple of big things on the table do you have you heard about what any of these potential changes that the conference might be able to have here to 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 raise a couple extra bucks well there's there's two fronts right number one is college football playoff expansion that's the big one i think the acc is going to get behind that quite a bit because not only is, is that kind of everybody what's everybody's talking about right now and, and a good way for everybody to make a buck on on the backside of the pandemic but you, you look at what the acc has to do structurally to change those television contracts the only one really is adding Notre Dame. Now, they are contractually obligated if Notre Dame wants to join a conference. It has to be the ACC through, I believe, 2035 or something like that. But at the end of the day, in terms of those long-term contracts, the really the only way is, is to produce a membership change in order to renegotiate those deals. And that's going to be Notre Dame or bust. I don't see that happening any time. Maybe you can have some, some things on, on the periphery, but it, it's a big task that Jim Phillips has over the next couple of years because you're you're already kind of hearing the the grumbles about the ACC falling falling behind after they just got the the network launched, and and they're already behind the Pac-12 in terms of that total revenue number, and it's only going to get worse in terms of that gap growing. Now they they might have the total over the Big 12, but when you're splitting it you know, over 10 schools versus 14, that that cut is, is going to be a lot smaller. And so if there's any conference that really has kind of been pigeonholed um, in terms of their TV deals, it's the ACC. And in terms of making that a, a big change, the the only one I can really see out there is, is adding Notre Dame. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah. Notre Dame trying to, to game out what Notre Dame might do is different than just assuming that they're going to, to maximize their revenue, because this is a, a unique school where football independence is literally a core institutional identity. Uh, I mean, people forget this. In the 90s, they were pretty close to joining the Big Ten. Like their faculty were like, nope, this makes the most sense. We're glad to become peers with Michigan and Ohio State again. And their, their other community freaked out. And I think there would be some pushback unless they had no other way. Like if the college football playoffs said we're not going to take independence anymore, um, which is not going to happen probably. Um, well, I mean, Jack, Jack Swarbrick, the, the Notre Dame athletic director, I mean, he, he's involved in those playoff discussion meetings. And so he, he's got a seat at the table along with, you know, Jim Phillips and, uh, you know, yep. Larry Scott from right now and, and you know, Greg Sankey, the other commissioners. So, so Notre Dame is, is in a, a choice spot and they are not going to allow the college football playoff to kind of dictate what they're going to do they're going to choose that on their own and you know they, they take less money from nbc to, to you know keep this relationship going in terms of that independence because they see a lot of benefits in terms of playing in san diego and playing in charlotte yeah. whenever they want to and so that um you know is, is going to be difficult for the acc to kind of convince them maybe maybe it is a sweetheart deal say you know like boise state got you know when when they reneg renegotiated the mountain west contracts uh before they were leaving for the big east you know maybe that's how you can kind of get notre dame and, and and entice them, but it, it's just a, a, a thorny situation and one that Notre Dame has all the cards. 
I'm honestly, I don't even think it would be about money. I, I think there would have to be something else that uh, is difficult for me to imagine. Of, of course, you know, the other realignment message board pipe dream is that the ACC could take a run at Texas, um, which quite candidly, I think is more likely than Notre Dame. Uh, but that isn't to say that either of those are likely. Um, any other realignment option, a West Virginia, a Yukon, a Cincinnati, a McGill or the University of Toronto, like none of those um, on their own, I think would represent a seismic enough shift to, to bring you closer to parity. You'd make, you'd make a little bit more money, but then you also have to realize there's challenges that come with being a 16 team league. And there's already ACC coaches and administrators and certainly fans that express a lot of frustration about not being able to play the teams in the other division enough to feel like a unified conference. Well, you, you mentioned, you know, Texas there. Wouldn't it make much more sense if you're the ACC to maybe do a deal with, we, we've heard the big 12 doing a deal with the PAC 12 and kind of going at, you know, media rights, kind of approaching them together almost as, as a, uh, you know, 20, 22 team entity. But if, if you're the ACC, maybe you get on that first where you're partnering up with the big 12, you have a schedule and agreement. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's a, there's some sort of equity venture between the two leagues that you, you can kind of combine for. Maybe that's how you can kind of change uh, the, the calculus a little bit because the big 12 is going to, to market in, in a couple of years as well. And so they're going to kind of follow on the heels and yeah, they have Texas, they have Oklahoma, but when you look at the, the rest of those leagues, they're, they're not media, multimedia powerhouses. They're not huge markets, but they could fit in well with, you know, certainly West Virginia having, um, you know, being able to play maybe more regional ACC schools um, as part of a potential deal between the two conferences. That, that would make a lot more sense from from a travel perspective. Maybe it's, um, you know, almost kind of you have a secondary conference between the two and, and that's how you can kind of finagle your way into, into things. But maybe if, if you're the ACC, maybe you look more at the Big 12 in, in terms of doing an overall deal with them to where you can get that in, in on, the, on Texas and all those. But, but you also have the additional benefits from a lot of those other schools as well. You know, as far as really outside the box ideas go, that one really isn't too bad. It's not like the Big 12 is the only other power conference that doesn't have their own television network. You've got the text, the Longhorn network to, to deal with there. But if you've already, you know, created a system where you're making exceptions for Notre Dame, you know, what's what's one more behemoth? Um, I don't have a good prediction right now as to how that situation ends or whether Texas stays with the Big 12 or goes independent or joins the AFC South. Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, and if I knew for sure, extra points would cost more than seven bucks. So um, there, there are some smaller things that aren't going to bring you completely into parity, but maybe worth doing and, and can still kind of chip away at the money on the other end. One that I would honestly expect to happen relatively soon, you know, in the next couple of years would be changing the number of conference games. And, and going from eight to nine, uh, that gives the league a more inventory to be able to stick on the ACC network or be able to go back to ESPN, get a little bit more money. It also helps solve some of the continuity problems. You're not going to have a situation where North Carolina is playing, you know, uh, Wake Forest out of conference or, or teams from other divisions trying to play out of conference games with each other. So they can actually go to each other's stadiums more often than once a decade, which you can, it's, you can't really do at the 14 team divisional structure with eight games. You either need to get rid of divisions, which they did last year. The world did not end. And most people seem to like it uh, or increase your uh, conference game requirement. And it's, it's not like the depth in this league on the football perspective is so crazy like it is in the SEC where that's going to cripple someone's playoff uh, capabilities. You can still play nine conference games and a power five game out of conference and not you're not you're not playing the 85 bears every week if you're in the ACC. Like I, Clemson might complain about that, but it's fine. And it's, 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 that other team is South Carolina. Like it's 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 not that big of a deal. And, and I think the playoff expansion is going to be the big driver of that for both the ACC and and the SEC. Is hey, hey let's at least play all the the same number of games. You know, play the same number of Power Five games. And while, while there has been pushback, that is definitely a way to where they can bump out those ACC network payouts um, in order to make it uh, you know at least feasible. You know, to their membership at the same time i know you know those athletic directors love having that seventh game at home and so you've got to navigate that a little bit uh, you know it is difficult um you know they, they want their fans in the stands that's you know tickets are still you know quite a you know big driver of revenue uh, at a lot of these athletic departments you, you look at florida state you know and in, 
terms of what they bring in, in terms of ticket sales. That, that's been a big driver um, in terms of some of their athletic department growth. So it, it, it's a difficult subject, but I think ultimately everybody does kind of see it coming that when we get to an A-team playoff and it's more important to win your league than it is to you know play that kind of tough outer conference schedule. Um, you know, you, you can give up another conference game. You know you can still make it back in if, if you play at a high enough level. And, and maybe that is ulti- the ultimate driver to kind of standardizing the, the nine-game conference schedule. I can think of a lot of people that would be happy about that. Um, I am not going to get up on my soapbox uh, like every other sports writer this summer and write about how it's a travesty, especially because I don't think uh, Power 5 – school requirement scheduling requirements matter all that much. I can, I think it's stupid to pretend that playing Kansas or Arizona means the same thing as playing a high level G five team. Um, and, and we see some of the incentives and results that have come from scheduling requirements. And yeah, it's led to people being more interested in scheduling Indiana and Purdue, like before Indiana was good, which it's hard for me to, to care about one way or the other, but the, the, the changing of, of college football playoff rules is going to be huge in setting future schedules, whether schools are going to have the financial flexibility to move up or down. It's also going to impact conference realignment. I think at the G five and the FCS level, um, if a FCS league sees an expanded potential revenue pool from the college football playoff and knows if they bring up their whole league, they're going to get a bigger chunk of that than they do from the FCS playoff. Well, that changes the calculus a little bit for the WAC or the A sun. If that's not the case, if, if the revenue distribution is going to be a little bit different then maybe you stay where you are, where you don't, where you can, you can save money on 23 scholarships. Um, that's definitely going to be a, a, a significant thing to monitor here, not just on the, like on explicitly on the television side. Um, this is this, the, the ACC situation is, it, it, it's interesting because I'm, I'm trying to like decide, kind of, let me try to think of how I want to put this in English. I'm not sure what they could have done differently. You know, we can look back at the Pac-12 and you could circle like, well, hey, in retrospect, maybe not working with ESPN was was, was a screw up. Um, you overestimated, you overplayed your hand and the demand that people have for Oregon State content. The ACC was late to the game to get to start their own television network, and even though distribution for that network has, has really been pretty positive, it should be on just about everywhere by next year. The profitability and the revenue hasn't been enormous. And, but part of that was one, they didn't have the membership to do it before and they didn't have the fan bases. It's a basketball league. Um, And you can look back and say, maybe things would be different if Miami had been good or if Florida state had been more consistently good. That's not really an ACC issue necessarily in my eyes, but um, you can really change your geography. And, and, and you're going to go back and say, you know, don't be a basketball league. Uh, do you change, do they, do they make realignment mistakes like 20 years ago? I, I don't really know if that's super clear. Um, it, it's just, I think it's just kind of the way things that happened. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when there was some legitimate question as to whether the ACC would even exist. There were, there was a thought that maybe the big 10 was going to just pick the whole thing apart. Oh, those were the days conference realignment. Those were the days, uh, you know, and, and it is interesting. I mean, you look at the ACC in general, you know, they, they have some, they, they really just kind of missed the boat on, on the whole conference. Network. I mean, they, they really kind of, uh, you know, kicked the can around a, a little bit too long. And and while they did get the increases in terms of those first year rights with ESPN and, and long-term deal and the, the really the long-term solution to the league's viability uh, that you're kind of hinting, hinting at there at the same time, they kind of gave up, you know, things in the back end. And, and that's where it's kind of going going to hurt them, not necessarily this year or, or even next year, but in, in five or 10 years time, when, when they're really at half the media distribution of what the big 10 is, then you're starting to get into some issues that the athletic department, it's one thing if you're on the West coast and you're in the PAC 12 and you're dealing with, you know, 10 or $20 million uh, shortfalls compared to some of your power five peers. But when you're Clemson, when you're Florida state and you're competing against the sec schools um, and, and you want to compete against the sec schools and they've got 30, 40, $50 million to spend on facilities, on coaches, on assistant salaries and, and not just in, in football, but basketball, baseball, you know, all, all the sports that you want to be competitive in. That's when it's things are going to get dicey for for a lot of these uh, commissioners and athletic directors in terms of where, where do we make our decisions? Where do we go? Because, you know, those, those donor fan bases, um, you know, as much as you think you have a renewable supply of energy from them, um, that that is not always the case. And and one wrong move could could really set back your, your program. You know, the SEC has uh, a little bit more of a, a built-in excuse in terms of and, and some leeway um, in terms of what they can do. That's not that's going to be less of a case for the the ACC going forward. The Clemson example 
is, is a good one to wrap this time, kind of tie all of this back together too, right? Because your Clemson is, is spending money on their football program, like in Alabama or in Ohio state in terms of resources, coaching staff, salaries, supplemental personnel, anything it's they're, they're, they're at that level. And Clemson's argument and, and their ability to do that is like, listen, we're not a national brand. They're not the, we don't have the same enrollment as a gigantic state flagship school, which is true. Um, and our community steadfastly committed to competing in football at the absolute highest level. And that's the most important thing. So we're not going to have a broad-based athletic department. Clemson sponsors the absolute minimum number of sports. And if I, um, the, the NCAA decides to lower the minimum of, of, of required sports for D1 affiliation, if the ACC lets them, my guess is Clemson would probably cut even more sports um, so that they would be allowed, allowed to do that and funnel as much money as possible into football. Florida State has not taken that approach. They fundamentally said, we still believe in a broad-based athletic department. Um, you can you can support that decision, criticize it, say it's righteous, say it's it's foolish, whatever. Um, but Florida State's facility and financial support and structure for their football program is not the same as Clemson's right now. They, Florida State has a bunch of things that Clemson doesn't have, um, but that's part of um, the decisions you have to make when your television agreement isn't the same as some of these other programs. Yeah, I mean, it really hurts Florida State uh, a lot more than Clemson because there are a lot of structural issues at Florida State that are not present at other schools around the league. I mean, you just look, yes, they're a school that wants to win at, at football, and certainly, the, you know, they, they've won a national title um, somewhat recently, but there's structural issues with that athletic department and well-publicized friction between the athletic department task was actually running, you know, a lot of those those Olympic sports and the booster organization, which historically has been quite separate. There's been, uh, obviously... Yeah turnover at the presidential level, um, you know, a couple of years ago and uh, just a lot of issues in terms of not having that alignment at Florida State. Um, you know, it's really kind of been one of the reasons Jimbo Fisher left, um, you know, where, uh, you know, to kind of get out of that mess and and you add on top of that some bad bad coaching hires and, and how that sets your program back. And while I think Florida State is getting towards being on the right path with, with a lot of those those issues and, and making sure that they are really moving towards being much more of a modern athletic department at the same time you know they they necessarily don't necessarily have that kind of built-in uh you know uh, alumni base to where they can play catch up with a clemson or, or whatnot um as easily as, as they could and when you add into that pressures from the media rights agreements not being what their peers are not only in state but you know kind of regionally um when you're talking about going up against the alabamas and the georgias uh, of the world it makes it difficult and you know yes a, a great coach you know can can overcome some of those things but at the same time you want to kind of clear the decks to make sure it's all about coaching and at florida state it not necessarily has been you know there, there's there's some structural issues there that they're going to have to deal with and and the lack of acc network money um being you know even comparable to some of their peers in, in that area is going to hurt them long term and so that's that's something that everybody has to manage and, and it's one reason why that florida state job although it looks great on paper it it, it, it is kind of difficult right now and, and probably is going to be for the next couple of years we're going to continue to follow all of these developments on extra points as uh, conferences and individual schools to make decisions about how to maximize their television revenue uh, or make concessions in, in, in light of being able to support fan experiences or student experiences and how they decide to spend that money, whether they want to go all in on one or two sports, spread it around a bunch of other ones, find some nickels and dimes somewhere else. Um, and these are going to change as the consumer experience and demands change. We watch sports differently than we did uh, even, even 10 years ago. Uh, a lot of people now our age and certainly young definitely want a second screen experience um, and then latency with, with with things that you might have with streaming is a, is uh, is an issue um, it's not as much of an issue for different demographic groups and and different different streaming platforms so um this is the i think launching point into what is going to be a continual conversation uh not just this year but moving forward um I got a couple other, I, th I think, interesting things coming up here on Extra Points. So what are you working on right now, Brian? Oh, got a few things in the hopper. Obviously, it's a busy time of year, even though we were kind of exiting, you know, March Madness and all that comes out. But, uh, you know, certainly on, on the NFL front, we got uh, the draft on, on that uh, end and uh, been talking quite a bit about the NCAA because... Um, 
really some key decisions coming up from the D1 Council uh, this week and, and next week in terms of what does the future of recruiting look like? We've discussed that on this show a little bit. Uh, also, kind of what the future of really the NCAA moving forward from a calendar perspective is, uh, not just recruiting, but uh, what are these schools going to be doing over the next six to 12 months? Uh, you know, how, how are they dealing with uh, certainly NIL laws? We've discussed that a little bit uh, on this show. So there's there's a lot in the hopper in terms of things that are happening in college athletics and, and really everything related to that as well. That, that, that's definitely going to be worth, worth checking out. There's a bunch of changes here on, on the, on the calendar. Um, and also of, you know, about the NCAA's uh, statements over various political issues, whether that's voting rights, whether that's transgender rights, and whether uh, the, the association will um, move things to other states or other areas. That's going to be important because we're coming up on baseball and softball postseason relatively soon. A lot of those regionals are probably going to be in the South, uh, where some of those political issues may be coming to a head. Uh, NCAA has moved events before over uh, state-level political legislation. So um, all of that, we'll, we'll stay tuned there, Brian. Uh, I, I've got a couple of things here coming up on esports, on some other conference realignment issues. I have a, a story coming out about um, what revenue sharing would look like in, in a world uh, um, as mandated here by the Cory Booker bill and what that might actually mean to some Olympic sports programs and some, 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 uh, some NCAA governance issues. Should be fun. You can find all of that at extrapointsmb.com. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different next week. We've had a bunch of episodes here. We've listened to Brian and I. We've listened to Brian and I talk to some other smart guests. Next week, let's do a mailback. Let's talk about some of the things that you are specifically interested in. Uh, if you've got a question, uh, shoot me uh, a tweet. I'm at MattBrownEP or at Matt at ExtrapointsMB.com. Uh, that's my email address. My DMs are open. You can hit up Brian as well. We'll record on Monday. If you have uh, any questions about any of the off-the-field stuff that Chase Football um, money, uh, television, history, what we're seeing next year. Uh, let us have it and we'll talk about it on the air. Um, Brian, where can we find you? Well, the, the easiest place is, is on Twitter, and I, I give the uh, spiel every time we're, we're on here, but uh, it, it is the, the greatest place to find me because I'm always tweeting out my, all my links uh, to my work. So at Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R on Twitter is, is always the best place to find me. Um, you can also, of course, find us, this podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, uh, leave us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you get those. That makes it much easier for other people to find the show, which helps the show grow. Um, I, uh, this, this, this has been great. Uh, and then thanks for spending some time here with us. We'll catch up with you next week. 